0: You're very welcome to another episode of the Scaling Your Business podcast. For this episode, we are joined by Will Holden, the co-founder of vidu.io. Will, you're very welcome to the show.
1: Thank you very much. Thanks for having me.
0: Delighted to have you. Um, Will, typical fashion of the show, we spend the first couple of minutes getting to know the guest, and then we jump into all good things. No different with you. Uh, so take me back. You've got a, you've got a UK accent. I know you went yeah. to university in Liverpool, but you've not got a Liverpool accent. So where did you yeah. grow up and what was life like where you grew up?
1: Uh, okay, I grew up in Blackpool. And for anyone that doesn't know, that's northwest of England. It's not far from Liverpool and Manchester, seaside town, just across the water from Dublin. And uh, ooh, it's, it's tough, isn't it? Like childhood stuff. Okay, mm. Blackpool, my... Favourite
0: hobbies, what did you like to do as a kid?
1: Oh, okay, cool. Uh, skateboarding, nice. I love skateboarding, yeah, yeah, and just like mucking about, going out on my bike, building, uh, building little ramps and stuff in the street, and knocking about in the neighbourhood. We lived on a, um, a council estate when I was a kid, mm. so there, there was a real sense of like community, and everyone's kids would be out with everyone's kids, and it was it was rough at times, but um, it was very very social. So yeah, that was me outside most of the time playing, and then once I got my hands on a Sega Mega Drive. That was kind of the end of that. And then a PlayStation and then Dreamcast. And yeah, love games. Yeah.
0: Awesome. Um, So you, you grew up in Brackpool. Did you move then to, to Liverpool to go to uni or did you go back and forth?
1: No, no, moved. Moved. Moved, yeah. okay. So went to uh, primary school, secondary school, Blackpool, mm. just outside of Blackpool. <coughs> and then as soon as I finished college, I thought, yeah, I'm done. Want to get out of here now. Went straight to Liverpool, which wasn't too far away. And used to drive my Fiat Chinkiechenko. You know, the in-betweeners car?
0: Yes. I had cool. that car. Yeah, mine was wow.
1: bright, bright yellow all the way around. And I was so proud of it. I used to wash it and wax it way too much every weekend. This old lady used to walk past the house and say, are you going to wash that car away? I didn't mind that. I was just so happy to have my car. Yeah, I drive back and forth up to Liverpool and, and I was based there, yeah, for a few years
0: what an iconic car. We'll get into it eventually around right. uh, your, your, your current role. But um, what, what was, was it work that uh, <coughs> brought, you, brought you to Dublin?
1: Yeah, it was, yeah. I After finishing uni at Liverpool, business management administration, tailored towards purchasing and supply chain management at the end, and then walked into uh, a logistics role. Went to work for a company for C- uh, called C.H. Robinson. They, they're worldwide, big base in America, but they had an office in Manchester. So um, straight out of uni, went straight into that job, picked up everything, moved over, didn't know anyone, just made a go of it in Manchester, It was fine. was there for two and a half, three years. Um, and it was, the pay was shit. And I swear.
0: Yeah, yeah, as much as cool. you want.
1: Oh, great. Well, the pay was shit. It was so shit. Um, but I was so happy to have a job. And I was so mm. happy to be learning and, and in the work environment. And just, it was a wealth of learning and not just like, I learned from people, but like hard lessons, like stuff that I'd want to avoid as well. So it's a real mixed bag, and it's very, very formative. And then one day, a friend of mine, um, really close friend, she's amazing, said, "Hey, I think you'd be a great fit for one of the teams at Google." And I thought, "Oh my god, Google! I've never. I mean, this—you've seen the movie, right? And it's just mm-hmm. this kind of thing out there. And who who goes to work there? I can't do that. My God, it's like this self-confidence thing." Um, but I loved what I did. I loved my craft. I loved selling. <coughs> and I knew I was, I was good at it and getting better at it, right? I had so much more to do. And she said, no, 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 you, you, you'd fit in. You're really Googling, whatever the fuck that means. And I said, okay. So I applied for it two, three months later. I got the job. And I'd never been to Ireland before. <clears throat> never been to Dublin of course. And I was in a bar and I got this call. And they said, yeah, so really happy to extend you an offer. And I just bit their hand off. I was like, yeah, take it. There's no negotiation, nothing, just straight in there. Yeah, right, I'm moving, done, packed up everything, got the ferry over, managed to blag one of my friends to load up his, his BMW M3, which is not that big. Yeah. It like was an old one as well. And we stuffed it full of stuff. And we went over in the middle of the night. And, uh, yeah, and it's been nine years, eight years since then. Never looked back. Best move of my life. Love it and here, now, really.
0: And now you're growing a family here in Ireland, so you're... Uh, yeah. Yeah, my Sunny my semi-permanently here.
1: My, I am, yeah. My amazing wife. At the time she wasn't, but we were together throughout all of this, right? So I went to work for that company, CH Robinson, right after uni. Maybe I don't know, a year and a half into that, or a year into that. Uh, she worked at the same company, but in Poland. And we got mm. to know each other. We were on a, a training together in Amsterdam at the EU head office, and we just hit it off. Um, and, and never looked back. We were long-distance for a while, and then she moved to Manchester. She took a real risk bringing everything over, coming to be with me in Manchester. And then she took another big risk coming over with me to Dublin. She trusted me. Um, she landed a job at Google, actually, after getting wow. there. About five, six weeks later, it was all right. Yeah, she got, it's just crazy how it works out. She works for Facebook now, hence, hence the picture behind us. Um, mm. But, yeah, now we're, now we're growing a family. The lovely daughter, Sophie. She's 17 months. and Yeah, it's just been great. Our own little island in
0: Ireland, you know awesome, that's really cool um yeah. talking about your own daughter I, I, I not go back as far as that, but go back to your early years uh what 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 did you want to be when you grew up
1: hmm.
0: so young William on the streets <coughs> of Blackpool, what did he inspire you to be? You could say a footballer if you wanted, or a skateboarder oh, no. <laughs>
1: never had any interest yeah a skateboarder, yeah, yeah. Brilliant. It was, it, I, it was Red Hot Sleep Peppers and Avril Levine. I think how, I wanted to be Anthony and I wanted to date Avril Levine, that was the whole thing. Um, and I had my skateboard with me. Uh, what did I wanna be? I, I always wanted to do something in business. That was very clear. So from a young age, my dad, my dad was a window cleaner and the money wasn't great. And the work was hard and it was all year round. It was outside. <coughs> and he'd often bring his work home with him and you'd go out with him in, in the van and stuff like that. So I'd be cleaning windows or at the very least going out with him to collect money from folks after he cleaned the windows. So I'd be handling cash and he'd be giving me little jobs to do and um, that, that was really, really impactful for me. Just going out with him to do that job, no matter how basic it was, it was it was my first experience in exercising it sounds cheesy, but being being an entrepreneur, right? He was running his own business and he was taking his son along with him. And it was just awesome to see Dad do his thing, to speak with customers, to get paid for it. Um, I, I love that. I love that. So I wouldn't say I wanted to be a window cleaner, but I definitely, I definitely wanted to do something commercial, do something business-facing, and then throughout my life more and more do do my own thing, right? Build my own thing.
0: Mm-hmm. So
1: yeah, that was, it was always business focused
0: pretty cool getting to work with your dad as well that must have been nice
1: yeah great i mean great way to spend time together and um it was but the lessons were tough you know i mean you'd be you'd be with your dad and he's your dad but at the same time he's your, he's your boss you'd know this come on
0: yeah no you'd i do that. i had six yeah. years at it
1: <laughs> <clears throat> yeah and, you know imagine you're a kid and, uh, and you mess up with something and so he's got to have patience. You've got to have tolerance and understanding, right? It was a really interesting dynamic, the two of us. Learned a lot of lessons, right? So Absolutely. pocket money. You didn't ask this, but I'd go out to work with him, not necessarily because I wanted to. Sometimes I couldn't be asked. you would be a small kid and you would be thinking, oh my God, it's cold. I don't want to put my hands in and out of water all day. Jesus Christ. Um, when I was a kid, though, the, the pocket money was, again, 20, 20 pence, maybe i remember getting bumped up to 50p and it was huge It's like oh my god 50 pence this is big i could get like one small chocolate bar and maybe a packet of bangers or something this is awesome um and friends of mine they'd be getting 10 pound notes and stuff yeah and i at first i was like oh i wish i had a tenner. but then you know i look back at it now and i think wow how valuable was that i'd save up my 20 pence pieces until i had enough to buy a deck of pokemon cards you know what i mean Awesome. Yeah, that's, pretty, awesome.
0: cool. that's mm-hmm. pretty cool that's pretty cool I'd like to rewind the clock to uh, I don't know if you uh, can actually,
1: rewind it any further
0: than that mate yeah no we're not going back there we're talking current day rewind it at 10 years just C.H. Robinson Yeah, um, yeah. you spent 3 years there and you finish up as an AE um, so I've got a couple of questions around that any lessons that you took from your time in C.H. Robinson specifically as an account executive did you improve any skills while you are there Building rapport, the ability to spot certain things, communication skills. What did the role as an AE teach you? Do you think other people should spend time in sales before they go into the workforce?
1: Oh, without a doubt. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. for me, it was it was an incredible experience. There's a part of me that wishes, like, oh my gosh, I wish there was more enablement. I wish there was more training. I wish there was there was somebody I could have looked to and gone, wow, I want to do it just like them there wasn't there wasn't really at the time it was an interesting business and it was a very small team and the people that were good at what they did they sort of did it on the side and you didn't see them much it's logistics so they're on the road a fair bit as well um so it wasn't like working in a tech company where you just you listen to recorded calls or you have these amazing team meetings and this culture is just so fabulous around development and learning you are all in together and you sit next to people and you can hear it all happen it wasn't like that and there's a part of me that wishes, my God, I, I wish it was. But then there's another that says, no, that was an incredible lesson. I failed so hard all the time in that role. And I didn't even realize, that's the thing. It was about, I don't know, 18, 24 months in, right? I reflected on it and I started reading some sales books. And I just, it was like this wave of awareness just washed over me. I was, oh my God, here are all the things. Oh, wow, I could have done that on that call. I could have said this, this is amazing. I was one of those people that I had all the enthusiasm and the confidence to go out there right, and do it. I would, sometimes I'd be driving up and down the country. And I'd just walk into a, a shipping warehouse right? with my little suit on and my tiny little you know, CHR briefcase. And I'd be on planes and I'd just chat to people and just start selling them freight forwarding services, like just absolute bollocks. You know, don't do that. Don't do it. But I wanted to, I was so enthusiastic about it. I'm going to go and sell, yeah. Um, And at the time I thought, this is great, this is great. And no one had the courage to really knock me back because I was so confident. And then one day I started to, there was was a man called Dan Odekirch. He he was great. He came in, CHR, and he gave me a book and it was called Silver Bullet Selling by G.A. Barty. It's not a fantastic book, but... It, it's, it's a decent first book to read if you're starting to put structure around the way that you sell and how you sell. Um, and that, that was a big moment for me. That was the first decent book I'd read. That was the first time I'd ever really critically looked back on my own experiences in sales and thought, wow, how could I have done that better? I'd never had a framework for improvement before. I'd never really had a model to look at and interpret all the things I was doing and get better at it. I had a hunger and a yearning right and don't get me wrong i was reflecting on my work and i wanted to get better but i didn't really have that here's how it's done well uh, and that for me was, was the start of that so CH robinson was an incredible opportunity not just because it was an amazing place to work in many ways at times it wasn't um but it was this this pressure cooker of different experiences and challenges and at times a lack of direction and you just have to figure it out um and i enjoyed that there are a lot of people that that go into places like Google, these big companies now, and they're really young, they're out of college and that's their first job. Hmm. And they don't know any better. Like, wow, the, the kitchen is fully stocked. I never have a need for anything. This is amazing. Oh my God, look at all the stuff that gets given to me and taught to me, all these learnings. I don't need to go and find any, it's just great, great. The money's great, awesome. Remember, my, my job it was, I think I was a 19,000 pounds to start. Um, uh, and I was very thankful for it, right? And there was none of that. the The micro kitchen you had, if you were lucky, there was <clears throat> there was a fresh bucket of um, Nescafe. I remember one day we got an espresso an espresso machine, right? Everyone has an espresso. These big companies now have frigging barista machines.
0: Mm-hmm. We
1: got an espresso machine, and my God, like people were trading those Nespresso pods like crack cocaine. It was it was like cigarettes in prison. Mad, you know. This wasn't. This wasn't a, a workplace where you don't need to worry about those things. Like You had to worry about those things, you know. These companies today, they just take away all of that crap and they allow you to just do what you want to do really well. But back then, I had to wrestle and contend with all these things. And I look at these folks today that join those companies and there's a part of me that wishes I could do it. But then there's another part that thinks, you don't know how good you've got it. You know, I'm just so, I'm so thankful for that first role because I learned a ton, not just about sales and how I wanted to work, but about myself. Um, And now every role I've had since then, it's been this feeling of, oh my God, I don't ever want this to end. This is amazing. This is amazing because I know where I've come from. That's not to say that was a bad thing. Not Mm -hmm. at all. It's just, I have this amazing reference point now. So yeah, Anyway, when I went to Google, I could not believe my luck. And after a while, that kind of wears off, but yeah, it was
0: good. Yeah, I have some friends who work in those places and some of the benefits they tell me about when we we're chatting, having beers in the weekend, I'm like, holy moly, one or two have tried to invite me in for lunch and I'm like, I don't want to go in to your office for lunch because then I'll be like, I want this. Yeah. I just want to live yeah. a life where I don't know that that exists. I know that it exists, but it doesn't exist to me, you know? Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. No, unless um, it's going to be yours, don't, don't go and look at it. And if you ever do look at it, just just know you know what the other side looks like and you'd appreciate it.
0: Exactly. Um, Well, you you referenced that Google brought you to Ireland, um, spent almost two years there as a sales manager. Then you moved to Intercom uh, five and a half years with the latter three as your title on LinkedIn was a me ahead of outbound sales development. So the question I have around that role being a management-led role is what are – one or two things that you felt you did well in that management-led role that contributed to the growth of Intercom. Uh, anyone who doesn't know, Intercom is an Irish, uh, Irish founded company who achieved unicorn status. So you were on board the, that train when it was growing rapidly. Um, so yeah, what do you think contributed, or that you felt you did well that contributed to the growth of that company? Very simple. There are lots of
1: things, and we could talk for ages, but Intercom's a phenomenal place. To work mm. like just a, an amazing company doing amazing things impactful things a lot of folks say oh we're going to change the world intercom's never said that um nor do they have that ambition in that way but but they really are you know it's it's such an awesome progressive company to work for with an amazing culture and for, for me when i got there i just like with google oh my god i've made it i've made it again this is amazing i worked there for five and a half years i loved every second of it and you're talking about the last part of my career there where I, I built the outbound team. And mm. um, re- really simple, just coaching, enablement, spending time interfacing with reps, just being there with them and understanding the role. It was an interesting position to be in because there wasn't a team. There wasn't an established process. We tried to do outbound before in different ways and it hadn't quite worked. And there was, there was nothing. So it was right, we've got to start the outbound team. So pick a rep, pick another one train them build the cadences select the list. you know liaise with the teams build relationships with marketing right all, all that stuff had to be done all of it needed to be put together um, so for me the, a large part of it was strategy and building and laying down the operational foundation for that team to grow and succeed over time but the other part and they're not equally weighted this was so important was was coaching and enablement and, and more than that, more than just helping a rep do their job, like really building trust with them. And you said, hey, what, what do you think was was helpful or impactful there? Um, I, I'm really proud of this. I'm really proud of the time I spent with those reps and the time they gave to me. Like I'll I'll always remember all of them. I remember every one of the promotions. I remember every one of the tough conversations and the tears and the hard times. Um, it was, a, it was a gift. And if there's one thing that I think I'm really happy about that I did well. I, I really do think it was just spending time with those folks, making them feel heard. This was not an established team and process that you could just slot someone into. Oh, well, cookie cutter a manager here and we'll put a person there. And it's kind of the way it is and it's a machine and it runs and you put this in and that comes out. No, no, not at all. It was messy and mucky and just, you know, unstructured. None of it was there. Um, so I, I really needed... The trust of that team I needed them to trust me and I trusted them and and so every day for me it was about showing them that and I did that through on the job coaching I'd sit with them in the in the trenches right so to speak we'd write emails together we'd build cadences together we'd review accounts together Um, I think that was important I love that very very cool that's my passion
0: Sounds like it was a, a, a great time to be involved at Intercom, particularly at that level, building out the outbound team. Um, oh, yeah. Today, you're the co-founder of Vidoo. Um, well, Rather than me take the mic and give it a 30-second commercial, you'll do a better job at it. So the mic is yours.
1: <laughs> yeah, Vidu is a platform that extends across the entire sales funnel, making it really simple and effective, really easy for sales folks to personalize content throughout. So you can imagine at the very top of funnel, when people are sending emails, putting gifts into emails that play immediately that introduce themselves to prospects in a super personal way. Further through the funnel, you can imagine demos, sending people demos that are really easy to create, fast, 20, 30 seconds, not three, four, five minutes, fully personalized. Even further through that then, we'll work on tools for videos, for presentations, for infographics, for images. I firmly believe that the sales funnel as a whole, people call it a leaky bucket. I think that's like how, how, and why do we, why do we tolerate that? Why do we accept a one or a two percent conversion rate at top funnel for outbound? Like, what the fuck is going on? Why do we pay SDRs tons of money today, like a lot of money? And and by the way, sales in these organizations, it's still one of those functions that scales in a linear way. If you're a large company and you want to get bigger, most of the time, unless you're like ridiculously product led. You need to invest in sales. Over time, you will become sales-led from a revenue perspective. And over time, when you want to double your revenue, many times you have to double your sales headcount or close to it. And I think that's just such, it's just such a weakness for business. It's tough. It's tough. It's, it's a huge human cost. There's a huge capital cost to that. And it's woefully ineffective today. And we've accepted it. And our solution is to just put more people into that team scale. Um, I think there's a lot more work that can be done in optimizing conversion rates throughout that entire sales funnel, from top to bottom. And I believe that personalization, and good content, valuable content that speaks to the customer, right, that shows you their your products in context of their business, that allows sellers to communicate really personally effectively, but fast and saves time. If we can move that conversion rate from 1%, 2% to 3 4 5 at the top of the funnel, the downstream impact of that is massive. And that's before we get to everything else. So we're starting at the very top. We're building tools for sellers to send great outreach really quickly and make it personal and connect with prospects. But over time, we will be the personalization engine that powers content for all sellers in a business at all stages of the funnel. And that includes lots of different types of media assets.
0: I, I watched the YouTube video where you gave an example of like the standard email and then you took one of the uh, pain points of that email and turned it into the GIF and then you reintroduced that into the email which just had the email stand out way more. I'll link that video below and also a link to your site as well if anyone's interested. Reps, the likes of Greenhouse, you've mentioned Intercom, uh, Qualtrics, Grad Guide, all those t- uh, teams and there's several okay, others that, yeah. that, that, that use your product um, and you're still in the early days. I know that you're part of the part of the I usually get this wrong as the NDRC accelerator yeah. program. I hope yeah. I got the words right there. I've only heard great things about those guys, so I'm curious. I, I don't know if you're in the middle of it, you're finished the program. It was yeah, yeah. I found out on Twitter in July that you'd done it. So, what are your thoughts on it? How has it helped you since you launched?
1: So, for us, it's been invaluable wouldn't have done it any other way we would have done it another way if we had to and if we had not known right like you you're not going to work for google you don't even want to know (laughs) because you know if you get a taste of it wow um maybe so for us that's what the ndrc is like we we fully intended to run this business and launch it without support we had some money Um, we knew what we wanted to do with the team that can execute we don't need to hire we don't need investment right away uh, so we we're really confident, and we have a product ready to build, well, ready to sell. We'll, we'll continue to build on it. Um, the NDRC for us, it was, it was a fellow called Mark McCabe. And if you don't know, check him he's, out. He's an amazing, um, I mean, he, he's Airbnb really early on. His background's mm. phenomenal. He's been a mentor and advisor to folks within the NDRC, but to the duo as well. Um, and he he mentioned to Gavin, like, hey, you should. You should really apply for this. It's going to be one of the first of its kind in Ireland. The model for finance is super founder-friendly. It's a lot like YC. It's a um, simple agreement, future equity, right? No cap, like really reasonable terms. You've got nothing to lose. So we went in for it. We pitched. We got it. uh, and It's been amazing. Like, why? Mentors, coaches. To begin with, the first couple of weeks of this accelerator, it was accelerated. It was like diving in really, really deep going really fast to start with. I mean, Gavin and I, we were thinking, oh my God, can we maintain this pace? And luckily the program kind of tailed off a little bit and let you work on other things. But the first three to four weeks, it was like, okay, folks, you've got five hours or four hours of back-to-back mentoring. And it was like speed dating. You know, so you did 20 minutes, five-minute break, or just hop straight into another room. And they just threw tons of stuff at you in the most productive way possible. Mm. So we, we met business leaders in and around Ireland, all over the world. Uh, really accomplished successful people from a ton of companies, <coughs> Owen and Des from Intercom, they, they came on actually, they were, they were helping out and we got to hear from them. We got to ask them really intimate personal questions in a one-to-one setting. We had fireside chats with them, non-recorded, really open, right. Personable chats. When you say really Owen, raw, you were talking raw. about the
0: founder, aren't you? Of Intercom. Yeah. Yeah. Owen
1: McCabe. Yeah. Yeah. And Des Trainer. Um, I mean, there were many people, right. But, uh, that those guys were there and it was it was amazing just to hear their like unfettered like completely open not throttled in any way story about growth about challenges that they've had about uh, plans for the future Um, and it was private it was confidential it was so helpful we wouldn't have gotten access to those people in that way um, for months for months i might have had what every two or three weeks i'd have a chat with somebody like that just their status, getting a hold of them is hard. But it is accelerated through their network, we are able to front load all of that. I'm rambling. The first few weeks at this are were very, very poor. Cool. They, they were really formative, though. Meeting all those people and having all those fucking ideas and, and shit, mm-hmm. crazy stuff thrown at you. And you coming off the call and thinking, oh, my God, we're doing everything wrong. And then another call, and then, no, you're doing everything right. And it was just, just getting pulled around all the time. It was incredibly... Um, it it was formative, right? It really helped us early on to take a step back and say, "Hey, this is what we want to do. This is this is how we're going to sell this mission and vision. This is the longer term strategy. But here's what we're going to do right away." And it, in many ways, it reaffirmed a lot of what we already knew we wanted to do. But it, it really surprised us as well. Um, so the, the mentorship and the coaching is phenomenal. the The funding and the funding model they have that's great. I mean, wow, you know, it's it's access to fast cash on great terms, um, and then. Uh, Patrick Walsh and the entire dog patch team, you know, they're, they're, they're running the NBRC program, right. They've been, mm. they've been trusted to deliver that. Amazing. Like what a great place. I don't know if you know dog patch labs. The I city, do. Yeah. 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 I mean, great people, amazing space. You're surrounded by other startups. I think, remember for us coming into that, that was my first time back in an office post COVID right. So to be able to leave my job at intercom, um, and then go straight into, uh, into intercom and even back in the office and then go into an office environment. Oh my God, like, if I'd have had to leave that job and then sit in this room for a year, I probably would have been pretty intimidating, worrying, right? But the, the other part of it then is just the social side of it and being around other companies at your stage that have similar problems and are not alone. I'd, I'd recommend accelerators to everyone. Uh, but mm. in particular, like the NDRC and Dogpatch, for us, it was an incredible experience. We wouldn't have done it another one.
0: I'll leave a link to both NDRC and Dogpatch below. A um, Couple more questions for you, Will. Have you got your own personal definition of what success means to you? Uh,
1: maybe. <laughs> oh, no, I haven't thought about it in that way before. No. I'm not really sat down and said, what is success to me? But I'll, I'll do it now. I'll <clears throat> think out loud. Success for me? Oh, no, I have. Okay. So success for me, it always was. Um, maybe this is right or it's wrong. It used to be to earn enough money to, to never have to think and worry about money. That was, and that was my background when I was growing up and in my early career. That was always on my mind, right? It was on my dad's mind, my mum's mind, it was on my mind, and it was a motivator. It was this I, I had to go and work, I had to do, I had to make a better life for myself if I didn't. It was bad and I'd seen what that could look like I had to go out <clears throat> and that was in, in many ways it was this push and this catalyst but in other ways it was also a burden it kind of held me back and I came up with statements like that I want to earn enough money to never have to worry about money as soon as I started earning enough money to not have to think as actively and worry as actively about money you never start but then success started to look like freedom and control and being able to <coughs> set your own path and Just say, fuck it, if you wanted to, right? That feeling of independence and being able to say, you know what, I don't want to do this anymore. And know that you've got that financial net, know that you've got your family and the things you really care about around you. Like that's, for me, that's success. It's about having the freedom and the autonomy to just go, you know what? I don't like doing this. I'm going to do this next. That's, you're a successful person and you're in a successful situation. If you can, if you can do that, if you can afford yourself those pivots, and if you can release yourself from that control placed on you by money, by other people uh, I think that's, that's really empowering and more and more now that's what I'm interested in that's why I'm doing what I'm doing
0: Have you got a favourite aspect of being your own boss?
1: Um, yeah, just doing what I want to do <laughs> You know, it's probably a negative thing but just, just not having to do all the meetings all the meetings and, and as much as I love Um, working with teams and and i really want to do that soon again i am enjoying the break from it i'm enjoying selling again i'm enjoying doing the job again i was always close to it but but i'm responsible for it now Mm. um set set my own schedule my own path and not having to answer to anyone there's no investors right now anybody but me and my co-founder that's that's probably the best bit about it and Mm. we keep on saying like hey, you know, if we wanted to, we could just take a Friday off. You know, wow. It's nice to have that option. We've never exercised it, right? I don't think we've ever worked.
0: I always have that thought as well. Does it give you the illusion of freedom or real freedom? Because I've always like, I like the ability to take a day off and then I never take a day off. So, yeah. Yeah. I think
1: maybe, maybe, I, I think it's just knowing that you can. That's the thing. I think it's just comforting knowing that you can. It's one thing working for a company and taking plenty of vacations. It's another thing doing your own thing, working your ass off all the time, but knowing that if you ever wanted to, you could, and you could just pack it in and you could just stop. And I think True. for me, that's a very powerful thing. I don't need to exercise that right, that option, but I know damn well that I could. Uh, and that's very liberating. You know.
0: Talking about, I have, I did that for the first time this week. I haven't done it in maybe five years and, on Sunday, I was sitting with my brother having a beer, and he says, I'm going to Paris on Wednesday for 36 hours. Do you fancy coming? And I looked at my Google calendar and I was like, I don't have much that I can't move. Fuck it, I'm going to go. So first time yeah. ever, I just said, I'm, I'm doing it. I'm going to go.
1: You don't need to ask the boss, right? No. You don't need to, to to book it in. Oh, well, with a policy, you know, it's if it's less than 72 hours, none of that. You just go and do it. And you take your work with you, and that's fine. So exactly. in many ways, there are these arbitrary expectations and structures in companies and corporates and sort of sometimes it can be management for the sake of management and policy and and there are certain folks you know you you can you can really trust them and maybe they have a bit of freedom but you know but for the group we need to set a policy for everybody right you all need to follow the same rules. that's the the, a great thing about being your own boss well i trust myself so yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna do this and I'm gonna catch up on that day and I'm gonna work a bit here and I'll work less there and just not to have to go through the rigmarole of asking those questions and seeking permission is really fun.
0: Mm. Let's finish up on this question. And it is uh, if you could add a mandatory subject to the secondary school curriculum that's not currently on it, what would it be and why? Oh, wow.
1: <laughs> this is good. It would probably be uh, something practical right you've got all these academic subjects it's amazing you've got some more practical classes I, I think that my favorite classes at school were business studies and it was in part I, I love math I love sciences and I loved it because it engaged me and they were hard and I was very distractible and I used to have a short attention span I found things like the English and the language is hard love numbers love sciences there's an answer to the question go and find it you know it's not mm-hmm. too much to interpret either way I like that But business was my favorite, and it was because of the teachers. Like, oh, my God, these people would come in. There's a fellow called Mr. Love. Mr. Love. And this guy was, I don't know if he was just flagging us or what, but he had something going on. Like, he knew something you didn't know. And Mm -hmm. he'd he'd drop a line here or there, and you'd be like, Jesus Christ, this guy is a business mogul. What is he into? What's going on? And he had his investments on the side, and he was a mysterious character. But he, he was somebody that all of us enjoyed because uh, he was straightforward and he was very practical. He didn't bullshit you. And you could ask him questions, right, about how to run a business. How to, it was silly stuff back then, wasn't it? You'd learn about P&L sheets, balance sheets, all mm. that sort of simple stuff like that. But he, he, was, he was really up for being challenged and he'd really get into the weeds with you and, and talk about things in context of, of real life and business. I, I think more people should be pushed at school to setting up their own enterprise. For me, it was never part of the curriculum, but people like Mr. Love and others in that space really inspired me because like, this is simple, I can do this. Like you've demystified it, Like there's, there's nothing to it. Like, why not? So I went out and I did those things um, in simple ways. And for me, that was incredible. I learned so much interfacing with people, managing my own you know, profit and loss, my own cash flow, going and buying my own inventory. Uh, selling it marketing it, all that sort of stuff it was just this wealth of learning for me and i think much like like these home ec classes and stuff like that a, a practical a practical uh, class and curriculum around setting up and not just on a piece of paper but literally setting up a business and running it i think that'd mm-hmm. be great because it's for me it's it's, it's only when i got out into that type of space that I started to learn, what I really enjoyed and what got me going. Um, business is so multifaceted. There's so many aspects mm-hmm. to it. And, like diving in at a young age was, was really impactful for me. Mm.
0: Nice. Makes sense. Well, it does. It, it's been great to spend the last 40, 45 minutes chatting to you, getting to know a little bit more about you, your business, what you've done. Uh, I wish you continued success in, in your role. I'll leave a link to Dogpatch Labs, NDRC, your website, your LinkedIn, and the YouTube video you recently posted about the example of how you can take an email and make it better with your product. So, but for today, thanks again for being my guest. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. Hey, Metro, don't trust you. I'm show you. Beautiful morning. the sound my morning, baby.